Welcome to the Church Leadership Podcast, your weekly source for encouraging and equipping local church leaders with your hosts, Mark Ganey and Andy Frazier. In each episode, Andy and Mark sit down with church leaders that you should know. We believe these honest conversations will be helpful and encouraging to you as you lead the local church. Here is this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Church Leadership Podcast. We are thrilled that you are back for another episode and another conversation. And our mission here at the podcast is to encourage and equip you to lead in the local church. And we know that today's conversation is going to help do just that. Before we get to the conversation, though, I want to remind you to do a couple things. Uh, go over and subscribe to this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, it's really easy. Hit the subscribe button. Hit that notification bell so you don't miss a single episode when it airs. If you're listening on your favorite podcast listening app, then uh, you can subscribe right there in that app. We're on every app you can imagine, so uh, we'd appreciate you do that. And by the way, you can always go over to our website, Church Leadership Podcast com and check out the show notes for every episode we've got more detailed show notes there and links information you can find out about each of our guests and uh, resources and tools uh, that are related to each conversation so I want to remind you to do that as well now here is today's conversation thank you so much for joining us this week on the podcast uh, we're glad you get to listen in on the conversation that we have with will Mancini this week we're glad will has joined us uh, Will is a church consultant, a ministry entrepreneur, and he also is the founder of Future Church Company. And Will, we are glad you've taken time out of your schedule to join us on the podcast this week. Yeah, Andy and Mark, it's great to be with you guys. Well, we're going to jump right in uh, to the conversation. And uh, some of the folks watching and listening may have, have read your, your book, your most recent book, Future Church. And uh, we want to kind of talk about uh, really the, the premise behind that book and really your passion. And there's a, there's a quote that I want to, uh, I, I'm assuming this is a tribute to you. So I want to use it and then use that to launch in our conversation. And here's, here's the quote. It's the paradigm for church we've embraced that has arisen as a result of the last 40 years of church history in North America is perfectly designed to produce the limited results we're getting. We can do better. And I, I cannot think of a better way to say it because that is so true. Um, what we've been doing is getting exactly what we've been getting. And if we want something different, then we, we've got to do better. And so talk about that, uh, how you've discovered the fact that what we're doing or what we have been doing the last 40 years, just especially post-COVID, just isn't going to cut it in, in the future of, of church. Yeah, one, one way I think about it, there's never been more like ways of thinking about doing church. I mean, there's you know, you know, thousands of books on how to do church and so many different faith tribes and their, their backgrounds and distinctives. And so what's really unique, I think, today is that we all share as church leaders a very common you know, dynamic and challenge that, um, that we, we continue to articulate kind of building on that opening mark of you know, the, this functional Great Commission seems to have crept its way in. It's just how we think in general. And it's, I think every church leader, it's what's unique about uh, this cultural moment is that no one really pushes back on this. We're all like, yep, that's, that's where we are. And, you know, let's, let's do something about it. But I like to summarize it as the functional great commission hmm. is that is, is become, you know, going to all the world and make more worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups and teaching them to volunteer a few hours a month. And it's hmm. like, wow, there's something about, you know, church that's important and those are important things but it's not the whole thing it's not the 
what Jesus gave his life for. So I, right. I, I'm just amazed how that rings true. It just creates a hunger in church leaders to do something different. Man, that is so true. I mean, that statement, that functional great commission, you know, you can't deny that. You cannot deny that is how we've been functioning. That's so, that's so perfect. Yeah, we have a, a functional savior in Jesus. We've made him into who we want him to be, and, and we have a functional great commission. I can't agree with you more. Mm. <laughs> yeah. so, so that philosophy of not just ministry, but that understanding of the great commission and the the paradigm for us that we're in for church and the, the failure we're experiencing of church, not just church closures and, and ministers who are dropping out of uh, the ministry, but I mean, we're just failing at making disciples. That's led you to do some things, not just to be creative in ministry, but to really have a heart to help churches and pastors and church leaders. So tell us a little bit about what you do, not just uh, writing books, but tell us how yeah. you churches kind of regain our, our big picture of what we're supposed to be about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, you know, as, as you mentioned, I've been doing church consulting. I was a church planner and then turned church coach slash consultant about 20 years ago. And I, you know, most, most people who've read my stuff or know of my ministry know it's about vision, clarity, that kind of thing. And what I think over time, uh, you know, you can put kind of vision, planning, strategy, and kind of an organizational kind of box. And I, you know, every year as I've done the work, I've realized I don't want people to think of me as the vision guy over the disciple making guy. So, you know, over the years, you know, having a vision frame has always been for me about the core mission of disciple making. So over time, I wanted to be more clear about that. So I, you know, kind of changed up and kind of reset my consulting presence this last year around the future church company. And that's really an, uh, an ecosystem of tools and processes that really get packaged in three different brands or three different companies. So my consulting work directly to the church is called church pivot or you know, pivot. And that we uh, uh, that's bringing kind of the toolbox within the future church book to church teams across the country. So uh, dealing with that problem, we just articulated. I've also about um, seven years ago, I began R and D work in a life design, a gospel centered life design toolbox. that's really designed to deliver through the church. And uh, we call that uh, Life Unique. So uh, we help churches basically install a process where people get trained to live out of their personal calling. And it's really beautiful to see, you know, everyday, you know, men and women, believers in the church, kind of naming why God put them on earth and really seeing their nine to five, not mm -hmm. just as a, you know, point of, you know, income, but as really a medium for disciple making. So really helping people, you know, disciple where they live, work, and play, not just, you know, invite someone into a group at church. In fact, I would say if Jesus was here today, you know, making disciples and, you know, in, in, our, in our cultural moment, it would look more like uh, how he's making disciples as a banker, a plumber, a teacher, a counselor, more than just inviting them to kind of how we do groups at church. Uh, so that that whole toolbox is really uh, special to me. And uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, taking about 5,000 people through that in the last That's five awesome. years and working through about two or 300 churches and churches are adding that toolbox every day right now. So it's really accelerating in post COVID. And then the other organization that's part of the future church company ecosystem, we have pivot, we have unique, and we have a, what we call denominee, which is a toolbox for network leaders, denominational leaders, multi-church leaders, anyone who's working over a scope, whether you're a multi-church of 10 churches you know, a small church planning network of 40 or 50 churches, or, 
you know, a denomination of 500, 5,000 or 50,000, you know, we're, we're helping kind of revitalize how we think about networking and denominations um, there. So anyhow, that's all those three, three things work together at the Future Church Company. That's awesome. And I think it just goes right to your heartbeat of, of helping churches. And uh, I love it. You're an entrepreneur and you have a passion to help churches and you see a need and you meet it. And, and so we applaud you, Will, and we're, we're thankful for those resources. We're going to put some, some information about each, each of those in the show notes as well for our, our listeners and watchers. I do want to drill down on something that we'd really started the conversation on. And, and, and that is, you know, that functional great commission versus uh, the, the one given. And so, you know, you, you talk about it in your, in your book, future church, but you're not talking about burning everything to the ground, right? You're not, you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and, and, you know, you're not saying that all of us need to go to, you know, micro churches and all that, you know, but right. I think what you're saying is so needed. All right. What the, the message that, that you're helping churches understand from the great commission is such an urgent message right now. And so how do you, you know, for leaders listening right now in churches, whether they're lay leaders or whether they're pastors, you know, how would you encourage them to, to take steps to realign their church with what Jesus actually said? Yeah. One, one helpful um, picture, Mark, that I would encourage church leaders to use, uh, put it on a whiteboard, start conversations in the church. It has, has a powerful impact is a, is, is a, it's a little napkin sketch that we build around the question, why do people call your church home? Mm-hmm. Or the, I like the question behind that of what emotionally connects people to your church. And we, we draw a little napkin sketch of a, of a two-story home with a lower room and an upper room. And we put in the lower room, which is the common starting place for everyone. If someone walks in your church, they're going to notice things. They're going to see the, the physical place, whether you have a, you know, a great looking sanctuary, you've done a, you know, redo in a strip center, wherever, you know, wherever your church happens to meet, people are going to connect to the place. Uh, there's personality, they're going to, you know, have immediate kind of impression of you as a senior pastor, or highly visible church leader, maybe a worship presence. Uh, so people will connect or not to, to the personality. There's programs, there's ways you're doing things in your, in your, in your programming. So the style, the choices that you're, you're making programmatically and whether it's a Tuesday morning women's Bible study or how we do kids ministry on Sunday, whatever that is, people will kind of have a connection to that. And then there's just, you know, the, the people factor, like, you know, you, you have a good vibe or not. And I, you know, I like the, the folks I hang out with, I have friends who show up Sunday morning, other times. And so what, what we'd say is most church attenders are, have what we call a lower room identity, meaning their deepest connection is to some mix of they like the place, they like the personality of the staff, they like the programming, they like the people who come. And here's the tension. We're like, well, who doesn't want to have great, you know, lower room stuff? I mean, if I want every church leader listening to have a great place to meet and, you know, want their charisma to shine and, you know, want the programs to work and bring value, want people to, you know, feel accepted and, and loved. And, and yet we would say if, if, if we're only in the lower room, you know, if there's not a bigger idea that people can connect to, we may be missing something. And so we just talk about, hey, you have an opportunity as a leader to connect people in the upper room. And this is what's so, I mean, it's so basic, but so mind-blowing at the same time, Mark and Andy, like people, like everyday men and women really do want to be connected to a much 
you know, meet more meaningful place, more transcendent place. They want to be connected to the unique purpose and calling of, of a local family of believers. And um, that's, you know, it's been my life trying to help churches say, how do you name and articulate what that upper room is and how do you connect people so that people are really excited about God's dream for that, that for, for the world in general, but specifically expressed in a local church. And just to quickly clarify two things on why this tool is so helpful. I mean, if you ask an eight-year-old boy, you know, what does he want most in life? Every answer will be tangible, right? An electric scooter, an Xbox, and you know, and if you ask that eight-year-old boy's parents what they want most for their son, every answer will be intangible, you know. We want him to know God. We want him to you know, be loved and you know, love. And you know, we want him to have self-confidence, et cetera. So this lower room, upper room is everywhere in life, right? When we go back to Jesus's ministry, we can see lower room and upper room too. I mean, he's teaching. He's God on earth teaching probably 20,000 men, women, and children at the feeding of the 5,000 men. But literally, he has, his church is about 120 in Acts 1. I mean, he gave his life over these three years of ministry to deeply invest in a few. And he built the movement of Christianity on a following of 120 people, not on, not on these crowds. So it's a really beautiful picture, I think, of not just Jesus' pattern for ministry, but of a pathway for us. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, rather than feeling frustrated that we might only have lower room disciples now and again, we go, wow, this is actually the pattern Jesus has. I've got a lower room in my programmatic expression of church who's showing up on Sunday. How many people are in the upper room? And how am I calling people into that, into that upper room? And of course, there's a lot we do with that tool, as you can imagine, but that's a foundational tool. And what's beautiful about that, Mark and Andy, is, is you get that conversation going, whether you're a leader, a volunteer, an attender, you start hungering for that question of what is God's story for us? What does our upper room look like right now? And it's a great, great conversation to get started. I, I can I can second that. I have used that specific tool uh, probably, I don't know, a hundred times over the last seven years. And, and you're right. It starts the conversation about what really matters. That's good. Yeah. What you're talking about, Will, uh, it may not, like Mark said earlier, it may not lead you to want to burn everything to the ground, but it definitely will lead you to prayerfully consider and reconsider the things you've been doing to, to get the results you're getting. I mean, uh, what got us here won't get us where we need to be. And I'm guessing by establishing uh, an organization called Future Church Company <laughs> that you have something in mind for the future of the church that hopefully looks more like what Jesus intended our church to look like, not not where we are. And uh, uh, if you're going to evaluate your lower room and upper room and your strategy and, and philosophy of how you do things, how does that help us to kind of reprioritize the yep. things that we need to, to prioritize and, and maybe get rid of some things that we need to get rid of? Because I believe COVID has been a great way to expose some of the chinks in our armor and our weaknesses and to let us see, like you mentioned earlier, this functional Great Commission that if we overprogram our church and uh, overpopulate our calendars, then we've created less and less margin for our people to actually go out and fulfill the great commission. So how do we evaluate that and, and, and maybe reprioritize or get ourselves back on track where we need to be to ultimately make our churches disciple making churches. 
Yeah, that's a, such a great question. I, I believe um, that it's we, we are we're at a place where we need to deal with our paradigm or you know our perspective in such a deep way that it's, it's a little more disruptive. And I think COVID gives us that opportunity or that awakening, as you're saying, to see it as a paradigm issue. So I think first, what ha- like we've got to apply the lever in the right place. So what I would suggest is we are talking way too much about, you know, cultural Christianity and consumerism. So, we're, I mean, you know, that's always going to be out there, you know, in terms of, it, you know, it's shifting right over time. But I would, I would really encourage a church leader to put the lever bar somewhere else. And I would say the greatest limitation to our disciple making results is our imagination as church leaders. Mm-hmm. And if, if, we, if we can reposition the, the, you know, the problem as a problem of how we think that's the starting point. And that's what I'm after with the seven laws of real church growth that come out in future church. I'm trying to help church leaders look at it as an imagination idea. And so, um, you know, we walk through those seven laws, which I won't, I won't um, unpack all right now, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw one out there that maybe a little, let me go throw two out there. Um, law five is the law of development. Real church growth is about growing people, not managing programs. And so mm-hmm. that one is, is, you know, easy to receive. Let me just throw out one right after it. That is a little bit more difficult and just suggest as an imaginative thing, uh, what, what I'm, what I'm referring to the, the law six is the law of leadership. And we'd say that real church growth is led by calling, not celebrity. Now, what's important about that idea of celebrity is not that, um, I don't, you know, most pastors I've met, you know, the thousands I've worked with, like, they don't get out of bed in the morning wanting fame. It's not about that. I mean, no one's called into ministry for that. But the way we do church in North America, you have a platform, whether you're preaching to 50, 150, or 500 doesn't matter like you have a platform and you're an important god person to a community of people and and that that by itself can backfire on the release and the activation of the everyday calling of the people that that you minister to so i like to you know just think imaginatively about the fact that let's say celebrity uh mark and andy you 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 guys are both you know guys helping other church leaders you're you know well-known guys and here's the deal like you can't give away part of your fame or your celebrity. And I'm talking, you know, small F, small, small C. It's just that you can't give that away. Uh, by the way, Jesus was a celebrity too. Celebrity's not bad. Jesus was a celebrity. I mean, you know, well-known. I mean, people coming from all over the place. He was a celebrity. He didn't rely on his celebrity. Here's what happens. The mission of Jesus moves forward through the presence of Jesus and the authority that transfers to everyday men and women who steward the power of the gospel. And it's just, you know, the greatest power source on the planet. But what happens is we, we, we have is we rely a little bit on our programmatic platforms and we can't transmit the celebrity the same way we can transmit the authority through everyday calling of men and women. And what happens is we rely too much on the programmatic expression of what the church is doing gathered around the influence of one hero who's that you know, bivocational, part-time, whatever, full-time staff person, rather than helping reposition the role of the staff as a hero maker, helping champion the calling of each individual person. I like to say this a little dangerous. I like to declare the pastorhood of every believer. The priesthood of every believer exploded dynamite 500 years ago because we needed it to say, you don't need, you don't need a priest to have access to God. You have direct access to God. 
part of the Protestant Reformation. I think what we need in the, in the 2021 Reformation of the church is to declare the pastor to everybody. Every, every believer has a parish, has a sphere of influence. Mm. And disciple, the disciple making that we're all hungry, hungry for is going to be released at that point of, of where people live, work, and play. So, um, you know, getting serious about individual calling to me is a big part of mm. um, helping reimagine what church can look like in the future. And that goes right in line with with one of the parts of future church, and that's the unique aspect of it. Um, yeah, you, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't say this in, in most interviews, but I'm intrigued by that specific uh, area of future church, and uh, I'm, I'm going to dive into that. I, you know, I, so people listening, well, you don't know this, but people listening know this probably are uh, watching. So I, I've got four kids. My oldest is going to get married in October, and um, my second oldest is going to college in the fall. So, you know, I'm at that stage as a father. I'm like, man, yeah, the, you know, my two oldest need to be a part of, of that very thing, uh, because they need to discover early, earlier than I did their calling. So they don't run from their calling like their father did, but, uh, uh I want to, yeah. we're coming kind of to the end here. And, um, I'm going to do this a little bit differently than we normally do it. Normally we say, Hey, what can you encourage our, our folks with? And I'm going to ask you to do that because there's, I guarantee you there's a pastor or a staff member watching, listening that is intrigued as well. Um, but is really probably impacted by your statement about functional great commission. And they, they know they need to get our, their church back to where they're supposed to be. But I want to ask you kind of a, a two fold question here. And, and I think they're both going to be the same, but, um, you know, your book is Future Church, your company's called Future Church, and we've talked around that. But I want to ask, post-COVID right now, how do you see the future of the church? What does it look like in the future? And maybe kind of piggybacking on that, how can you encourage yeah. those watching and listening to be a part of that future church? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think COVID was, you know, as, as challenging as it was, it did. It was a gift. Let me kind of clarify that. It was a gift of clarification, purging, revealing, you know, where, where we are, because the COVID doesn't, didn't really uh, diminish anything about the mission of Jesus. So if it diminishes anything at church, it's a reflection of the gap between where, where we're, what we're doing and, and what the mission of Jesus is. In other words, it kicked our lower room around quite a bit, but it didn't touch the upper room right. and, and nothing can ever touch Jesus's upper room. The, 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 the one scriptural reflection on this just too, really quickly, then in, in a moment of hope, is um, you know Babel actually. So Babel in uh, you know Genesis eleven is really an act of grace in a similar way to COVID was in the sense that you know people were were stuck. Jesus or God in Genesis one, the first commission was be fruitful and multiply, spread and fill the earth. And now these folks are all you know huddled together, building a tower to God in their in their pride and hubris. And so what God does is confuse the languages, which was actually a restorative thing to the first commission. In other words, you know, we got to, we got to spread out guys. Like, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to help you spread out. And in a similar way, COVID kind of is like a helping you recalibrate to the biggest idea of the church. And this is cra- I mean, in John six, verse 66, Jesus throws some hard teaching down. You know, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't, you know, can't have eternal life and he's of course building off the statement i'm the bread of life there in john six and jesus creates his own covid moment i mean the crowds just leave it's like 
train wreck, right? It's like, no, that's, it, it didn't bother Jesus that the crowds left because he was building the future on a few. That's the moment of hope. Whether, you know, whether you have a core team of five people, 50 people, it doesn't matter. Like the future of the church for Jesus was found in a few that he invested in. The future of the church in 2021 is found in the few that you're investing in. So how well is your investment in the few? Now we have our model of ministry and we have bills to pay and we have people coming and giving. So again, I love the organized expression of church. While you're doing the organized expression of church, the future of your church is still found in the few. How is your investment into a few people and their investment into a few people as really the chain reaction of what Jesus started that is continuing today everywhere. And you've got this church leader, like you can do that. So it's just a refreshment of actually how accessible the mission is and how joyful the mission is. When we see, we don't have to live under the pressure of who's coming to our programmatic expression. We get to live under the joy of investing deeply in a few people who can carry that on. Amen. Amen. And a lot of the people who watch and listen to this podcast will are in normative sized churches. You know, they're not in the mega churches. So uh, the discouragement for them comes in looking around and comparing their, their church, their organization, their ministry, their numbers to somebody else's or their success to somebody else's. So what you're talking about is key. I mean, if you are being faithful to invest in a few, as Jesus has called us to do, then you are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. That's right. And size of your church, most of the time, is the size of your lower room. I would say the size of your lower room is not the size of your church. It's the size of a ministry opportunity you may or may not be taking advantage of. So, you know, I'd, I'd much rather, you know, much rather have a lower room or, you know, an upper room church of 50 people you know, than a lower room church of 500, right? I mean, what pound for pound, what are we, what are we doing to advance God's work in the world? And, and uh, so, yep. Good, Amen. good work. Well, Will, thank you so much for, for taking some time and, and just, uh, just talking with us and uh, letting other people listen in our conversation. We thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Well, I know those watching and listening have been encouraged and equipped uh, to better lead in their local church, and I know we have as well. So, uh, again, thank you, Will, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Church Leadership Podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and even review our podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. 